I'm Peter Goodwin for the Audio Journal of Oncology, reporting from the Molecular Targets and Cancer Therapeutics Symposium just held in Barcelona. Hepatocellular carcinoma was in the spotlight and a new molecular treatment that's showing first evidence of efficacy as a systemic therapy. Maria Reg delivered the news in Barcelona and I managed to talk with her right after the session. Uh, Maria, you've been uh, discussing a new approach to hepatocellular carcinoma, uh, a, a form of cancer that is, has quite a tough prognosis, and you've been focusing in on a molecular marker called monopolar spindle kinase. Can you tell me about that particular enzyme and what it is and, and why you're interested in it? Yes, for sure. As you may know, HTC is one of the most lethal cancers. So that's why we, we focus in this molecule. Mo uh, monopolar spindle one is a dual tyrosine and serine uh, inhibitor of kinase. And it is the, the amazing thing is uh, work in the uh, cycle of mitosis. As you may know, when the, the cells are divided, need to have a lot of mechanisms. And this is a one target for the Area. The drug is an MPS1 inhibitor. Monopolar spindle MPS1 is actually involved in cell division, so you've got something that could be the right thing. I believe it's been correlated with disease outcome as well, hasn't it? Yes, uh, sure. The, 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 the key thing here is uh, the expression of uh, MSP1 was demonstrated in several cancer, also in HEC. However, until now, we didn't have data in hepatocellular carcinoma cell lines. And this preclinical data that we present today was focused on that and also in patients. So the, the key thing here is we identify that in a new mechanism of action related to mitosis. This is something that was used in the past for other tumor, but not in the HEC. And this is the, the news that we have. Now, there are a number of um, um, uh, kinase inhibitors about that are used in other settings, uh, some of them even used in hepatocellular carcinoma. So what's special about your new one? This new one is uh, focused in a specific uh, target that is in the mitosis um, procedure or target. And this is the, the, the main difference from the previous one that are wor working in another process. And, and that's why we are really, really uh, interested in continuing with this research because it seems that could act in an area that we have never seen before in ATC because patients that were failure for other treatment that are the tyrosine kinases as sorafenib, lembatinib, regorafenib now have a good outcome with this component. Right, now are drugs like uh, sorafenib at all effective in HCC or, or not? What, what's the data on those so far that you're yes. comparing it with? Uh, Sorafenib was the first drug that was approved for advanced HTC. However, nowadays, immunotherapy is the first-line treatment because demonstrated benefit in terms of overall survival superior to sorafenib. This is another TKI that is lembatinib, also non-inferior to sorafenib, and there are other two that is regorafenib and caosantinib. Caosantinib have also another mechanism of action uh, in second line, but none of these patients are treated with immunotherapy previously. And now we have immunotherapy as a standard of care and 75% of patients fail to that treatment.
Right, so you were treating in your very early study here, and you've reported on the phase one section of it, patients who were pre-treated, so that meant they probably did have immunotherapy already. Yes, for sure. If you uh, follow the result that we present today, uh, all the patients presented at least two treatments before entered to the trial, and some of them up to three treatments. Some of these patients receive immunotherapy as a first or second line treatment. Right. So what did you do in the study then? I mean, how did you set it up? There was some preclinical work, wasn't there? Tell me a little bit about that first. Yes, the preclinical data was focused on ATC lines and we assess the capacity of this drug to decrease the proliferation of the cells with this compound and also with other treatment that were used in ATC. And we also have a cohort of uh, doxorubicin that is the control. The C-max, the, the C50, sorry, was a lower with this no component in comparison to the other. But keep in mind that we are talk, when you are working in cell line, the direct comparison is not feasible. So we want to be very, very cautious to say, we observe that high sensitivity to this drug, and I will not, I prefer not entering comparison to the others. We are focused on this drug that we know that have activity in these cells, uh, ATC lines. Now, at the session that you've just been presenting in Barcelona, you've reported on the phase one human uh, cases in, in this small study. Tell me what you did with the patients. Yeah, I'm, today I'm, I'm really, really happy because I present that and also we are in the month of liver cancer. So have new treatment, potential new treatment for patients with liver cancer is amazing. And what we see, we only treat 12 patients, so a small number of patients, but two of them achieve partial response. That means decrease the tumor burden, at least 30% of that. And three additional patients stabilized the, the tumor. And this information was with a good safety profile. So that means we have a sign of activity, anti-tumor activity, and also good safety profile. Right. Now, that's efficacy. Of course, you can't hang your hat on efficacy findings in a phase one study, but, uh, but I will ask you about it. However, what about the safety? Because phase one is all about safety. Yes. What did you find there? We have two cohorts. The first one received 100 milligrams and the second one 135 because this was the design of the study. And the most frequent adverse event was neutropenia. So neutropenia is key in the management of patients. We observed that the neutropenia was grade three in two patients under uh, 100 and in four patients under 135. That's why we consider that neutropenia was the adverse events that define the maximum tolerance dose. And we prefer recommend 100 for the expansion cohort that we will present later on. Important thing, the neutropenia recover to grade one in nine days without need to use treatment, just with observation or reduce the dose. So that's why we are confident that at least in this small number of patients, 100, it's uh, safe in terms of uh, profile. Obviously, we need to confirm this data in other, and, and we are, again, very, very cautious, despite of the fact we are happy.
So it's a dose-finding section of the study, and you found the dose, it seems. And obviously that's not the perfect part of the study to get the efficacy findings from, but you've got some pretty striking ones, um, including quite long, stable disease. Tell me about that, please. Yes. Um, when, you, when you talk about uh, assessment and response in the setting of uh, primary liver cancer, ATC, it's a complex area. Which criteria do you use? How do you deal with the decrease of FP and so on? So we use the RECIS 1.1 and we focus on those patients who achieve partial response stable disease. But the, the interesting thing, we also observe the mm, evolution of AFP that is the marker for this tumor. And in the interesting point is, despite of the fact the patient developed progression there is still be in a good condition, performance status and liver function. And for example, one of the patients lives after progression 11 months. So that means after three failures, four line treatment, median survivors from, from the beginning of the study, almost a year is something amazing. Now you've done other uh, studies in the past to establish the efficacy and safety of drugs. How does this sound to you? How promising does it sound? I, I, don't, I don't like to compare with previous studies because we know that it's not possible to compare direct comparison between that. But having said that, this is the first time that we work in patients who, who failed for at least three previous lines. Until now, all of the clinical trials were focused on patients that are in first line or second line. The only one that considered few number of patients in third line with cabozantinib. That's why I'm really, really uh, interested in continuing with this research and, and, and enthusiastic, but again, with cautious. How, how choosy were you about your patients? What about their performance status? Were they all high performance status? When we uh, started the treatment and in this cohort, 50% of the patient were performance status zero and 50% of the patient was performance status one. And obviously the patient who developed symptomatic progression developed symptoms, but generally speaking, the perception from the clinicians, because we are three centers that are involved in that and we know each other, is the profile of uh, performance status is good, at least if the patient develops uh, progression. Only one patient discontinues the treatment without progression due to asthenia. So it's something that it could happen. And again, cautious, but uh, enthusiastic. Well, bearing in mind that many patients may have a low performance status, do you think there is potentially uh, a, a role for this agent if it justifies its efficacy in the future? The, the, point, the point in the ATC is that we usually start treatment in patients with good performance status, that means there are one, so mild symptoms. That's not the case in other tumors. And the other thing, good liver function. Remember that these patients are cirrhotics. So the patients that are cirrhotics have an additional potential complication that is development of liver failure due to their uh, disease. Okay, so what are you going to do next and how do you think, I did ask you how, how you think this is going, but um, do you think we have a, a, a potential new treatment on our hands here? Yeah. So the, the next step is ongoing because we in August in yes in August 2022 we started expansion cohort 40 patients that we uh, expect to treat with this 100 and for those who are not developing severe uh, severe uh, neutropenia we can ramp up 
to 125. And the other important thing is in this expansion cohort, the patient have to have at least first line with immunotherapy, that's now the standard of care, and also at least one tyrosine kinase inhibitor during the second or third line. So what would you uh, suggest cancer doctors around the world think about your new results now? Good question, difficult one, because uh, I need to to be uh, completely transparent in my opinion. I'm happy, I'm interested, but I'm really, really cautious. We are talking about a very early phase of development. The sign is here to partial response and a stable disease, good safety profile, but be cautious. We, if you consider this drug only in the setting of clinical trials. Okay, so if you were to give the take-home message coming out of your findings so far and bearing in mind what you're now doing, what would be your present take-home message? The take-home message is we have an option for, treat- for treatment in patients who failure. So if this result is confirmed, we can do a breakthrough in the management of patients. So in clinical practice, if the new drug proves to be beneficial, what is the application in day-to-day clinical practice, do you think, and the kind of order that you'd use different treatments? Yes, if this treatment is uh, positive in second line and third line, could be the treatment for patients in third or fourth line. Keep in mind that now the patients progress to several lines, but they're still in very good condition because we have more treatment, but shorter treatment. If you follow the BCLC guidelines, the recommendation for this patient now today is clinical trial. Our dream is to have clinical practice in the, future, in the next uh, years. And do you see the, the agents like this potentially going to first-line therapy? It is uh, difficult to say with this data. The data that we have at this day is this treatment seems to be works in a good profile of safety. If it's positive, if positive in advanced HEC after failing treatment, seems that could be useful at early stages. However, we need to think about the macroment of the tumour. We are treating patients that received many, many, many treatment before. And again, uh, we need to be very, very careful to give message that maybe will not be validated. Does it matter, by the way, what the original cause of the liver cancer was? Because this could be viral. It could be due to alcohol, couldn't it? Yes, the, the reason for uh, liver cancer, the most frequent is cirrhosis due to different etiologies, hepatitis C, hepatitis B, alcohol, and also metabolic syndrome. Now that day, obesity and metabolic syndrome is a, a huge problem for the community. So uh, despite of the fact that patients with hepatitis C are cured, they didn't uh, lose the risk of developing cancer. So now today, metabolic syndrome, NAFLD or, na- or alcohol are the most frequent. However, for the physicians who are not really involved in liver cancer, but in liver disease, remember to perform a screening for liver cancer. This tumor could be identified at early stages if we perform screening to, to the patients. Right, so you, you check patients for risk factors and then get on with screening. Yes, if the patient is cirrhotic, the recommendation for the guidelines, the European guidelines, American guidelines, Asiatic guidelines, is screening with ultrasound every six months. 
If the patient is non-cirrhotic but have an advanced liver disease, the discussion is if we follow every six months or different, then now we are working also in another area of research for assess the risk uh, of developing cancer in non-cirrhotic patients. And if the patient has one of the hepatitises, what then? Yes, if the patient have hepatitis V and other uh, factors, we need to perform ultrasound every six months. If the patient have hepatitis C was cured, the discussion is open. Our recommendation from the BCLC is perform screening. However, that's right, that is not possible to screen all the population. So that's why now we are working on this area to identify the patient at risk. Indeed, we... We, we are working on that from the beginning because the BCLC was the first that demonstrate that patients cured with hepatitis C could develop cancer. You're working in the liver oncology unit in Barcelona. Um, how do you feel about the way liver cancer is going at the moment? Um, you mentioned, of course, screening, and you've now got a new treatment that, that, that might be useful. What's your feeling about the future of liver cancer? Ah, I'm, I'm very lucky because now I'm working in the unit that's called BCLC and is a referent around the world of this tumor. So I have a, a lot of information. So my my belief, my perception is that the, the adjuvant therapy could be a reality in the next uh, years, but we, need, we are waiting for this result. This is another area that we are working on that is screening. And the third area that we are working on is in a patient experience. Now, Nothing could be done without patients, without considering patients at the center of our work. So the philosophy that we have is not only researchers and clinicians, we are working a multidisciplinary team and also working with patients. And this is the philosophy of the hospital that I'm working and we hope to have more involvement of them in the near future. That was Maria Reg, Professor and Head of the Barcelona Clinic Liver Cancer Unit at Barcelona University in Spain. For the Audio Journal of Oncology, I'm Peter Goodwin.